Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, May 21st, 2023. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to be just looking at verse 30 that we will move, I'll be referencing a bit back in Joshua 6. Verse 30, I'm going to read that verse and then we'll, we'll pray and get started. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day that you've allowed us just to get together again um, and meet together as Christians and sing and pray and fellowship with one another, encourage one another, Father. Even today as some of us will meet in home groups and we're we're very grateful, Father, for, for such a time. Father, thank you for the songs that we've sung already just clearly present the gospel of Christ and your greatness in the gospel. And, and I just pray that today you would just take this time, use it as you see fit. Pray that Jesus would increase. Pray that I, that we would decrease. I pray that you would give us greater love for you and your greatness and your goodness in Christ. Father, in spite of me, I pray that you would work greatly. Father, we believe in the power of the preached word. And uh, help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So basically today's message is the faith of Israel at Jericho. As we're right, it's still in Hebrews 11. <clears throat> and, and so the plan right now is to next week preach another sermon on Rahab. And then, then we'll go from there and then we'll make our way, Lord willing, through the rest of the book of Hebrews a little bit quicker than we have in 11. But today we come to the very end of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. The old generation has, has perished. They've, they've, they died in the desert. So now it's time to fulfill God's promise to their children. Moses had passed away. He, viewed the, he went up on the mountain and saw the, the promised land, but he did not enter. He died. And the leader is now Joshua. He, and Joshua, if we remember, he was one of the two spies that was sent out into Canaan 38 years before. And now God appoints Joshua as, <clears throat> as Israel's leader. He's, and, and he has clear instructions. They have clear instructions from the law of Moses. And then we come to some of the most famous words in the Bible, found in Joshua 1, 8, but particularly here for us, verse 9. God says to Joshua, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I just think forward to Christ and and, and Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me now as you go, make disciples. But back to our story. After this, God leads, leads them across the Jordan River. And even there's a miracle there as the water stands up as they as he establishes Joshua as the new leader. And 
this May, as he comes across the Jordan there and they establish themselves or they come into this area where Jericho is, may have been the same city that the spies went into as they saw giants and they saw walled cities. <clears throat> we, we don't know for sure. But we come to this time and it is a very different situation. The discipline, the judgment of God upon that earlier generation was finished. And so instead of unbelief, we see belief and we see faith, at least right here with Jericho. And so we find this story in Joshua 6. I'm not going to read it. I will retell it as we go through the, the, the truths today. But I have five characteristics of faith from this story. And I, and I, have, to, I have to point out, too, that I'm relying heavily, too, on A.W. Pink, who is the main commentator that I've been reading. And so the points today are mostly his, but all of the workings out of it and the applications are mine. But I have five truths about faith. First one is this. Well, actually, let me go ahead and give them to you so you know where I'm going. First one, the courage of faith. The second one, the obedience of faith. Third one, the discipline of faith. Fourth one, patience, the patience of faith. And then finally, number five, the anticipation of faith. And then I have some applications at the end. So the first one we come to is the courage of faith. God tells Joshua, as we just read, and all the people, he says, be strong and courageous. And they are strong and courageous. When they crossed the Jordan, they burned all the bridges back to Egypt, back to the desert. They left everything behind them. They were cut off from being able to run away. The river was now on their back. And there was no fortress to where they could run to. They were now in the land of their enemies. They are just crossing over into Canaan. And there are really only two options for them, victory or death. And God tells the people, we know the story, march around the city, okay, every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. And they were, during this time, they were not to make a sound <clears throat> except the blowing... <clears throat> that would come with the trumpets later, but they were not to make a sound until at least to speak or to shout until God says. And, if, you know, as I think back through this, I would have been very fearful. I mean, maybe thinking about the inhabitants of Jericho, maybe what they were going to do, if they were to come out or if they were going to throw stones over the walls or <clears throat> maybe, who knows? But they were not, we're not given any indication in the text that they are fearful. By faith, they are people who do not hesitate. And again, we don't have any indication that they, that they complained at this point. They were bold and courageous. And his, in his commentary on this verse, A.W. Pink reminds us of what he calls three degrees of faith. And this is kind of helpful to us. We've talked about this a little bit, but three ways we see faith. The first one is <clears throat> The faith that receives. When we come to the New Testament, this is mostly what we see. John says to those who received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. So to have faith is to receive, to receive Christ there in the New Testament. Second way we see another degree of faith is a faith that he calls reckons. 
faith that reckons. Now, my grandpa used to say, John, I reckon I can do that this afternoon, but it's kind of not the same way as my grandpa used to say that here. Reckon just means I'm going to trust God to fulfill his promise. So I, we might say in a literal sense of the word, back how the word used to be used, I reckon God will do this. Okay, So that's the second way we see this. We, we, I look forward to, to 1 Timothy 1.12. Paul says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed. I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So that's the second way we see faith. We know God will fulfill his promise. <clears throat> and so we see both of these degrees of faith here at Jer Jericho. But there is a third way, which is the point of this text, I think. This is the faith that takes risks, a faith which dares to do something for the Lord. And we see this throughout Hebrews 11. <clears throat> I think about Moses took faith to confront the king, Pharaoh. I think about David. I read it a couple weeks ago in my, in my quiet times. Can you imagine going against this giant with nothing but a sling and a stone? That was faith or Mount on the on the big Mount Mount Carmel there when Elijah went against all the prophets of Baal that was faith and so I think of William Carey anybody ever heard of William Carey we should I think Jimmy and Scott what two years ago or I don't know how many years ago three somebody I don't remember when it was but we they did the talk on William Carey and William Carey is known as the father of the modern missionary movement and before he was as he was trying to go to India, there with his pastors and the friends and, and his Baptist association, one of the gentlemen stood up and said, <clears throat> Young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do so without consulting you or me. And then Carey replies with some very famous words. Two things, he says, expect great things. And Later, I think folks put in from God. Um, but then he says, expect great things. But then he says also, attempt great things. So this is a way we see faith here at Jericho displayed. We see it is very courageous. So when I think of these degrees of faith, and I look at, at just churches in general, and I think even look at, look at us at grace, I believe we get the first two very well. We have received the Lord Jesus. And we, we believe that He will fulfill all of His promises that He has made to us in Christ. But in regards to the third, when I just look inwardly, I can say for myself that my faith often and most of the time is not very very daring and courageous. And, and so I, I think that, that that's something that, that I would ask for you to pray for for your elders, that we would display more courage and bravery in our faith and that something even as a church that, that we should be about. And we must, I mean, I think about in, in our evangelism. How, do we, how are we doing in our evangelism? If I were to ask each one of us, in the places we go, the coffee shops we go to, <clears throat> places of work that we go to, our places of entertainment that we frequent, our sporting events that we go to, how, how frequent are we being brave and courageous to share our faith? 
And so I would love for you to come to me and answer that question, but I, I can look at my own life, and, 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 I'm, and I lack great boldness for sure. But we see it here, and we see it throughout the Bible. We could come up with lots of examples. I, I think even just maybe one example that, that's going on here with us at Grace, I think it's very bold and courageous in one regard to, to be calling another pastor that we actually pay. I think that's, that's a big deal for us after 15 years to think that, that God might use Gil in our life and, and, and cause some things that, that we haven't seen in the past. And to even think that maybe one day that we would actually send Gil out as a church planner as we grow. Um, that's, a, that's a big deal. But anyway, let's, let's move on because I have some applications at the end. But that's the first one. Faith is, is courageous or, or brave. Second truth we see here is the obedience of faith. Joshua chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. God says, or through Joshua, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall, thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. So to walk around the walls in such a manner, carrying this box, this ark of the Lord that they had there, not speaking, but instead blowing trumpet, trumpets, it might seem a little bit childish to think, would anybody ever think the, such walls would, would come down? It might even be a bit ridiculous to think about this fortified city that is full of men of war inside that city. But people believed the Word of God, and they believed they would be victorious. So they followed the instructions of God through Joshua exactly as prescribed. They were obedient because of their faith. <clears throat> it is true that divine power will bring down those walls and brought down those walls, but the people acted in obedience, no matter how strange the means were. Now consider their condition. After 40 years in the desert, coming to Jericho, think about what had happened. For 40 years, and even before that, for centuries, 400 years, they had been a nation of slaves. Probably not a nation of slaves for that entire amount, but just in a manner of speaking. They were slaves in, in Egypt. And there, after that, when they were brought out, what did they do for 40 years? They wandered in the desert where a whole generation died. And their great leader, Moses, finally, he also died. They were without military experience. They were lacking, certainly lacking artillery. They had some weapons, but they didn't have artillery. I don't know how trained they were, yet they had marching orders from the living God. In the same kind of way, brothers and sisters, God has not left us without marching orders. For Israel at Jericho, God gave plain and clear, minute instructions. They, they were to march around in a certain order. Each person, each group, each tribe had their own assigned place in the way they marched. They were to march at a specific time. They were to go around the city exactly in the way that God had told them to go around the city. There was no room 
for human scheming, no place for planning, no need for human reasoning. All that was needed was obedience. And, and after reading Hebrews 11, this is faith. This is what faith, faith obeys. We have so many examples. I think of one in particular in the Old Testament. Do you remember a guy named Naaman? Just curious. Brittany, I thought you put your hand up there. <laughs> anyway, it's kind of obscure, but Naaman, 2 Kings 5, he was the commander of the Syrian armies who were often in war with the northern part of Israel and the southern part. <clears throat> and so he was, he was there very, very well known, very high up, and very powerful man over the Syrian armies. And he got, he, he, he got leprosy. And so he, he didn't know what to do. He just knew at that day, I don't care what part of the world you were in, if you had leprosy, you were, you were cast out. Okay, and so he didn't know what to do. Well, he had heard about this prophet named Elisha, S-H-A, not Elijah. And he had heard that this Elisha had prayed for people and they had been healed. So he takes his team of folks there and his servants with him. And he travels down to Elisha, the northern part of Israel. And you remember what Elisha told him to do? He told him to go wash himself seven times in the Jordan River. And then he would be healed. So what's the first thing? If you remember the story, what's the first thing Naaman said? He's like, that's a nasty river. That's my paraphrase. We've got much better rivers than that up, up where I'm from. I am not about to go and wash myself in that nasty river. And so he, he walks away. And I know when I read that story, I thought, oh, you've blown it. But oh, the, just how God works. But he left. But his servants came to him and they said, Naaman, are you crazy? Now, that's my translation. You need to do what Elisha says. And so, what did he do? He gives in. He goes into the Jordan. He washes himself seven times. And the, and the Bible says his skin was made like an infant's. Bright. It was, it was, he was completely healed from leprosy. And when I think about Jericho, their marching orders were very strange. But today, how strange are our marching orders? They're not very strange in comparison, are they? Not strange at all. They are very clear and defined. We have the full revelation of God given to us in the Scriptures. And our marching orders are clear. We're told how we're supposed to live. We're told how to order our families in godliness. We are even told exactly how we should conduct ourselves in the church of God. In the way that we have elders and deacons and we preach the word and we, we practice baptism and the Lord's Supper and church discipline. We're, we're told very clearly how we should order the church. And then we are told very clearly our marching orders as the church are to do what? As you go, or the, it's a command there, go therefore and make disciples. But yet when I look around and I see the state of, of many churches even around us, um, I, I wonder, I don't go to other churches, so I don't know what's going on, but I just hear some of the things that are going on. And one of the things that we've really tried to do through the years at Grace is to be really simple and to try to just to, to not do too many things, even in our worship. 
that is not clearly prescribed or told to us in the New Testament, and we've tried to order ourselves very simply. And I hope that we've done that. But also, our marching orders are clear as far as how grace comes down to us through Christ. And God uses means. I think of prayer and fellowship one with another. And then just evangelism and all of the things that we do. Our orders are clear, very clear. And so on a personal level, though, just by way of application, I say this often, but at the end of the day, you will know a Christian by their fruit. And what is fruit? Um, Well, it is obedience. Obedience to what? Obedience to the Word. God's people, according to 1 John, God's people love God. God's people love the Word. God's people love one another. We do that. These are the fruits. And so we, we long to read. We long to worship. We long to gather together one with another as God's people. We, we long to, to pray for one another and do the, these are the fruits that we see in the lives of Christians. And so if over a period of many years you've called yourself a Christian, but yet you find that you really don't really love God's people, it's just a duty, you hardly ever pick it up and read, and then you don't read it in your, in, in your own closet there, and you find that these things are not evident in your life, then maybe you are not a Christian. Maybe the Holy Spirit has not, you've not been regenerated, you've not been converted. And, and so I, through the years, even at Grace, I've seen people who profess Christ for years and years and years and years, and then all of a sudden, after 10, 11, 12 years, come to me and they say, John, I really feel like I've just now gotten the gospel for the first time. And so I always do this, and and I must look at myself. We must all look at ourselves, lest we have believed in vain. We must test and know, the Bible tells us. Let's move on to number three, the discipline of faith. In our story, Joshua told the people, you shall not shout or make, <clears throat> excuse me, make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out from your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. Well, this is very interesting to me. They must be disciplined not to speak during those seven days until Joshua tells them. This silence in the beginning was as necessary as their shouting at the end. Why is this? Well, well, think about their story, the young generation that was about to enter into the land. They were the children of the greatest, we might say the greatest, I, I hate to say it like this, but that was a generation of grumblers and complainers. Those were their parents. And over the years, their fathers... Their mothers complained, murmured against God. And so if these, this generation were allowed to speak, they surely could have told Joshua how to conquer Jericho. Even if you go back to the, <clears throat> their parents, they were like, couldn't you have left us, left us back with the food in Egypt? Weren't there better houses in Egypt and better graves there to be buried in in Egypt even if we were to die there? And so here we have this new generation. So if they are allowed to speak, I think maybe they would have said to to Joshua, hey, you know what? 
this marching around deal. Let's just, we're, we're greater than they are. There's nobody coming against us. Let's just surround them for a year and let's have a siege. They will, they will have to come out at some point or, hey, let's get, let's get some ladders and let's climb the walls. Or, you know what? Battering rams through the gates, will work, they work very well. Or let's dig some tunnels and go underneath. I mean, think about just, God says, march around it. And the walls are going to fall down. And in the meantime, be quiet. And that was a command from God. I think if they would have been allowed to speak, they could have, may have overthrown the plan of Joshua, which was the plan of God. And so when I bring that down to us and try to apply that a little bit, I think of Proverbs Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Anybody ever memorized Proverbs 3, 5 and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all ways and he will direct your paths. So when we think about the non-Christian in this world, the world we might say, the world always leans on its own understanding. Always. That's just natural to what the world does. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding but in only expressing his own opinion. Do you ever watch talk shows? Ever? I mean, just anything. You know, my dad used to watch the Five at Five, you know, or you pick up something on CNN or NBC, whatever, and you find these groups of people, three or four ladies or men, and what they do, you might have the conservative and the liberal and the, and the, and the whatever, and they all sit around and what do they do? They tell you how they think the world ought to be run and how the problems should be solved. And they just do. That's what the world does. They give their opinions. Well, with Israel at Jericho, they were given a method that, in their opinion, I don't know, may have been very unlikely to succeed. But I am sure if you go back to those inside the walls, what were they thinking? Well, we were scared of them. But now they're just marching around the walls. We don't know. Because we do know the scripture says that inside of Jericho they were fearful. And they knew that Israel was coming because God had put the fear of him in them. But we don't know. We're not told all the details. But then they're thinking, hey, that method's not going to work because we got walls here and you're just going to walk around. And so they didn't expect such a miracle. And so thinking about us, brothers and sisters, soldiers of Christ must be trained, and our faith must be disciplined, knowing that there is a time to act, time to speak, time not to act, and a time not to speak. Think of Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane when it was time for Jesus to go to the cross. And there comes Judas and some of the religious leaders, and the soldiers are coming to arrest Jesus. What does Peter do? He jumps up with his sword, does he not? And he's ready to fight. He's seen Jesus for three years, and hey, it's time for the kingdom to come. And so he whacks off the high priest's servant's ear. And what does Jesus say? We have different accounts of this. But Matthew, this is my paraphrase from Matthew, he says, Peter, put your sword away. I could call legions of angels right now if I wanted to. But this is not this is not the way. This is not God's plan. Instead, Peter, let the Scriptures be 
fulfilled. So in the same kind of way, we must know that often God's ways are not our ways. Very often, and we'll come back to that more at the end, but we must learn by faith to trust the ways of God. And in the meantime, God has given, ever, given us everything we need for life and for godliness in this world. And we know that God is bringing all things to His appointed end. He's working all of history exactly how He wants to work it. Number four, the patience of faith. Our verse says, by faith, the walls of Jericho came down. After they had circled for how many days? Seven days. Went around the first day, nothing happened. Second day, nothing happened. Third day, nothing happened. Fourth, fifth, sixth, and then finally on the seventh. And so we must consider that one of the reasons for this, I mean, we don't know. God's ways are not our ways. Jesus telling the, 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 the one he healed to go and, and put spit in his eyes, or they would tell Naaman to go wash in the Jordan, or what are, lots of different ways that God works. And we don't know all the reasons, but I think one of the reasons was for the testing of their faith, particularly their patience. How patient would they be during these seven days? When nothing happened after marching around the city 12 times, I think it became more evident while they were doing that that their enemies would not be overcome by the power of man, but by the power of God. It's always not by not my, my, my own strength, but by the, the, the strength of the Spirit, not, <clears throat> God tells us in the New Testament. Examples we find in the, throughout the Bible. When God waited for so long to give Abraham a son... What does Abraham do? He goes out. He grew impatient. He was determined to have a son with Hagar. What about Moses? When he thinks, I'm a Hebrew, I'm going to leave Egypt, and he, he kills this Egyptian man. He thinks, they're going to follow me now. But what does God have for Moses? I, I forget how many years, but so many more years. He would get married and have kids, be a shepherd. He thinks, I'm going down in life. I'm coming to the end of my life. And then all of a sudden, the burning bush. Jesus, after the resurrection, what did he tell the disciples? He says, wait. Wait in Jerusalem until the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Well, in the same way, as Israel patiently waited on God at Jericho, we must also, we must trust God's timing. Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Faith is patient, particularly in trusting the sovereignty of God in all of His timings. We are often in a hurry. I'm in a hurry often. I want results from my prayers. I want more godliness coming from my prayers. I, there's some, I want more boldness. And yes, these things come, but we also must continue to be patient and persistent as we seek the Lord. We often find it harder to wait than to believe by faith. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. 
For in due season we will, re we will reap if we do not give up. And I'll come back to that in just a moment on application. But finally, number five, the anticipation of faith. So the looking forward to the victory. Joshua 6.20. So the people shouted. And the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city. Every man straight up before him, and they captured the city. Here we notice that the people shouted. And they shouted before the walls come down. This was a shout of faith. Faith that expected victory. Listen to the words from Jesus in Mark 11. He says, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain... Be taken up, thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I, I still, that, that, those verses are still a bit mysterious for me, in all honesty. But I, I get it. I get it, but it's still a bit mysterious. But it's interesting that Jesus uses the picture of a mountain. Why would he use the picture of a mountain? Well, I think in this context, because moving a mountain is not possible. Bringing down the walls of Jericho by running around, walking around, and shouting and blowing some trumpets is not possible. But then... At one point, the disciples come to Jesus. And they're talking about those who have wealth. And he says it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and at that particular time, if you were a Pharisee or, or a Sadducee or a scribe or someone who was religious, who was a leader, what had God given you? Wealth and place of authority. And so the disciples are, well, wait a second. We thought that that wealth just kind of goes along with the same thought of the health, wealth, and prosperity movements. But they thought, wow, these people, if they can't be saved, then how can we? We're poor. And so with that, Jesus says, well, thinking about salvation, with God, all things are possible. Look back at chapter 11, verse 1. Our definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. For by it, verse 2, people have all received their commendation. Then verse 3, by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. Faith is connected to what? only God can do. We often hear the world, I have faith that this will happen. I have faith that, you know, something will transpire. I have faith that my, you know, my team will win the, the NBA final, whatever. That's not faith. We just use that, that term in that way, and we get it, and we understand. But faith is connected with what, what only God can do. There was nothing Israel could do to make those walls of Jericho come down. And in the same way, I think the biggest picture, 
from the Old Testament with the walls coming down. It's not just the walls that we have in our lives, although we have some. The Bible says that Jesus has torn down the wall of separation between God and man. We, without, it goes back to our context, without God, with God all things are possible. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are all children of Adam. We are sinners and we cannot save ourselves. It is God who must do it. He is the one who must break down the wall. And so Jesus is the one who breaks down all the walls. The enmity that is between a sinful man and a holy God, Jesus broke down. And he tore it apart at the cross when he laid down his life as a sacrifice for sins. The righteous, he was not a sinner. He was sinless and he laid down his life. And so he was the perfect sacrifice and God accepted his sacrifice. And, for, and so faith is trusting, believing in what God, only God can do. And so if you are here today and you are a Christian, it is because of the miracle of salvation that God has provided in Christ. That is the biggest but it isn't merely salvation that requires faith. It goes along. We, we might bring this down a level. The Bible, Bible says the righteous person will live by what? Faith. We trust God's promises. That's what we do as Christians every day. And we trust every single one of God's promises. And our lives are full of shouts of faith knowing that God will bring down the walls. So, for example, by faith, JB, you can be a really good husband because you got it all right here. I can say that to myself and to all of us. We, as husbands, we live by faith to be godly. As wives, the same can be said to be a godly wife. Children, to be an obedient child of their parents and to, to love God. We live, you live also by faith. That's what we do as Christians. By faith, we can make godly decisions and do what is right in every situation. And really, it is faith. It's not like the world has some faith um, and we have more faith. No, the world has no faith in Christ. They have faith in their own system. But what separates us from the world is faith. In fact, that is what God created faith for, that we might be connected to Christ and be saved. With that in mind, I just have a, a few quick, some of them are just really quick applications. But first application, God's ways are different than our ways. I do not know how God is going to work out your situation and what you are suffering now, or what you are going through now, whatever it is, I don't know. I don't, and even those who aren't suffering, who aren't anxious or depressed, or having something major going on, it, it is coming. And I don't know how God will work that out. I do not know how God will work out the salvation of our families. But we know that God's ways are not our ways. And so hopefully we can think about these truths of faith, particularly the one of patience as we trust God in this life. Another application. Faith is always a war for the Christian. Always. We might say life 
is war. And I often talk about the wrestlers. I can't imagine, you know, Carson and, and Garrison getting in the ring for those. I don't even know how many minutes they go for, what is it? Three minutes, three minutes, three minutes? Okay, nine minutes? I don't know. But that time that they are in that ring, there is no letting up. You can't just go, oh, I'm going to stop for a second, because then they'll pin you. So there's this constant. Well, the Bible, Paul describes life as that way. There is never a moment that our guard should be let down. And so I, I think of Ephesians 6, 10 to 17. Let me read that. Paul says this to us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up, take up the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Brothers and sisters, life is war, and it will continue to be so as long as sin and death and the devil and we remain here in this world. Another application follows this. Satan, sin, and death cannot ultimately stand. They will all be defeated. The Bible says that Christ sitting at the right hand of God until all of his enemies be made his footstool. And so to unbelief... To the unbelieving, life is full of walled cities. That's all the unbelievers see. <laughs> and they cannot come down. They cannot be shaken. But by faith, belief, God has only just to breathe on them if He desires. Or have His people march around them and blow some trumpets and they will come down. Another application. All victories belong to faith. And so, this is God's design. God will work in your life in such a way that He will get all of the glory. That's just the way it is. We know that God works all things for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. God is the one that is working these things so that when He works something, He brings you through a trial, He brings you through a temptation, He brings you through a test. Whatever is going on, when we become Christians, He brings us through there, or one day when... He brings things to an end in that way. In all these ways, God will always get all of the glory. And so we must always give God the glory for everything. And so, by way of conclusion this morning, our lives from beginning to end, particularly I'm talking about our beginning as a Christian when faith comes, from beginning to end is lived by faith. So we live by faith this morning. By faith you hear me preach the word. By, by faith, you will leave today. You might go to home group. You might do something else. By faith, tomorrow you will go to work, and you will continue trusting in the promises of God that come down to us through Christ. Israel began by faith there at Jericho. 
They entered the promised land by faith. The ups and downs that will come through Joshua as we keep reading the trials and the victories. Faith, they live them by faith and so do we. So faith is the glue that holds all of life together. And this is very fitting. Jesus is described in Colossians as the one through which all things are held together. And by faith, we are united to Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for this story today of Jericho and these lessons, these truths about faith. Even as next week, as we look forward to Rahab and the the prostitute who will be um, in the line of Jesus and that you will, by your grace, save her and her family. And by faith, she is saved. Father, today we are the same and we look under Christ. He is the one who broke down the big wall. But Father, there are many walls. I pray that you would give us grace, help us to um, take these things to heart today, these truths that we might um, grow in our godliness, that we might be more sanctified by your Spirit this week. I pray that you would give us great love for you and for your gospel and for your Son. Father, we know that 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 is the key to life, is just loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, we do that, Father, in the face of Christ. So today, I just pray that you would take the rest of this day, use it as you see fit, and help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.